please pronounce your name correctly for me. <laughs> uh, hi, my name is Nevena Jankovic. I'm from Serbia, from Belgrade. wanted to move here six years ago and then I just um, kind of followed and I wanted to continue to do things that I already did in Belgrade um, which was um, I was a cultural producer in one independent culture center called Culture Center Grad and uh, I kind of made so many connections uh, in in the Balkans, working there and, all, and also internationally, that I thought, oh, it would be great to continue doing that in Vienna and also uh, because we have a huge uh, migration uh, population here uh, from the Balkans to kind of uh, establish some platform for continuous collaboration between the regions, let's say. And it's kind of our natural uh, destination for to, where to migrate, you know. But there are a lot of artists from um, former Yugoslavia living here and working, and it's kind of from the who knows when, you know. We were also part of the Austro-Hungarian uh, Empire, uh, so this was also natural. <laughs> so Austria was never a colonial country, but uh, it had it was imperialistic country and it had like um, a lot of smaller countries within the uh, monarchy and we were also part of it so okay my european history is horrible i'm american well, well you know i don't know i only know a little bit it's not my field i believe say, you i believe you i'm just going to go with it as, as you're, you're right a common knowledge or something you know I, I you know finally i'm living here so i should I guess know some stuff more than I do, of course. Uh, but we cannot really cover every topic. <laughs> no. I hang out with people who do that, you know, like uh, who are historians, who are anthropologists, and they, they digest this for me as well. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Yeah. I mean, you know, a diverse amount of interest is always Definitely. healthy. Definitely. You know, it's good for everyday conversation like this. Or Yes, I am uh, a wealth of useless knowledge. <laughs> That's perfect. Like, I always remember things I shouldn't, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember weird facts that have no relevance whatsoever to life. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very good <laughs> with that stuff. So you now run, I, I'm going to probably mispronounce it, Block Free? It's Block Free. It's like uh, non-aligned. It was something that... Uh, uh, when I was uh, coming up with the title for m my uh, like NGO, uh, when I was moving here, I wanted something that uh, kind of connected me with uh, former Yugoslavia, uh, with the like the concept of uh, some good values that Yugoslavia had, and this was the non-aligned movement that uh, she was part of, initiator actually. So th this was something that. We are kind of proud of. I mean, I think it was really great and amazing. Just to be clear, so block free is a person's name? No, it's uh, like you had um, NATO on one side. You mm -hmm. had like um, uh, this um, uh, Atlantic Alliance on the other side. Or Heard of it, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, with the Russians and <laughs> all the rest. And you had these countries like... Uh, of poor countries from Africa or South America or, you know, like India and uh, part of Asia. And then several of them, uh, several of the presidents, sorry about this, they kind of, uh, I'm now talking very 
not uh, academically about it, so sorry about this. Uh, but they, they um, together with Tito, they decided to make this uh, non-aligned movement and to be like somewhere in the middle and not to be allowed to be pressured by the uh, big uh, powerful st- alliances like NATO and... <laughs> Okay. So it was something that's like against the, it was against the colonialism, you know, like uh, uh, the freedom of society and open society and uh, making these kind of collaborations and exchanging the know-hows. Because I remember, I mean, I didn't live back then. <laughs> I'm not that old. Yeah, you're younger than me. So, uh, yeah. Just a bit. Uh, I'm thinking uh, but uh, there were many students coming from africa and asia and uh, studying like uh, different kind of uh, technical sciences at the uh, belgrade university medicine you know and this was called and how does this relate back to block free yeah it's like uh, uh yeah so this was thank you for uh, getting me back to that um so this was somehow for me you know i was coming here didn't know really anybody uh, especially not uh, in the arts field. So uh, it was like I didn't have any alliances. Uh, and I don't think that it's always good to make uh, ne- necessary some kind of alliances that would somehow limit your independence, let's say. So this is uh, a rough path, <laughs> not to kind of, you know, be politically kind of close to some, some I don't know, higher uh, ranked politicians or... Uh, uh, to be kind of uh, always um, free to speak what you think uh, is right and proper and for the things you are actually uh, believing in, you know. So I think that this was some kind of idea uh, with Block Fry, you know, to kind of uh, keep doing things which are not forced by the state politics or you know uh, by somebody's um, because i'm coming from serbia which really had struggling past yeah <laughs> throughout my uh, childhood and then adulthood and i guess i was um, th- i turned to arts and culture as a way out you know as an exit as which a, was going to be a question of mine basically is how did okay. you get to this yeah. like so this was actually the, because this was the platform to uh, reflect, to to question, to criticize uh, the existing situation because many people in my country are not happy. You know, we had like uh, 20 years ago, actually, uh, we overthrew the president Milosevic uh, with these um, uh, huge riots uh, that happened on the street uh, of Belgrade and um, it was supposed to be like a new hope uh, for uh, the future of Serbia, you know, but guess what uh, uh, Walter Benjamin said after <laughs> every failed revolution, the fascism appears, and now we have this president uh, who is very, very uh, right-wing oriented, um, has this right-wing populism, uh, he b- owns all the media, except one maybe, and it's so difficult. After 20 years, we came to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, now we are hosting a conference with Ukrainians uh, on Friday and Saturday um, with Ukrainian curators. And I'm like doing some research uh, and it's really, I'm afraid that it's, you know, the similar <laughs> path will happen to them as well. So it's a kind of, maybe it's a pattern, really. <laughs> 
I don't know. It quite possibly could be. Yeah. I mean, the as much as I don't want, I, I'm not a advocate of like political art and involving politics and art. It there are places in the world where it's incredibly important element of the arts yes, culture and yeah. the arts history. So hearing that you have this sort of a you know close tie between your po political views, political opinions, and art practice is very different than of course my upbringing which I don't do that well you know that Marina Abramovich has this work art must be beautiful it's very which is an <laughs> yes. interesting point like I, I okay which is an interesting thing that I've been running into I come from America and in America it's oftentimes like you make something beautiful in order to entice people in to want to know more about it to then talk about something more profound or more interesting I'm finding a lot here in Europe as a whole, so this is not Vienna in particular, that they don't focus, they focus more on the deep conceptual and, and don't really necessarily try to make something beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, that's sometimes uh, really uh, also a problem for the audience, uh, which is not professional audience in the sense of that. Uh, yeah, the viewer. You know, when, yeah, just a regular normal person on the street Un uneducated <laughs> not, so you know, not, not highbrow artsy snobby <laughs> yeah. person like us you know somebody it let's say some uh, it manager who is or software developer who is not into arts so mm -hmm. how to bring this person to understand conceptual art i don't want to uh, in any way diminish it uh, people because i don't have a clue about so and they're great and, collectors of yeah. art so don't, <laughs> so yeah, don't defend them to say that. yeah that's no, like I saying just, bankers uh, bankers they don't know a darn thing. oh wait oh, they collect it's an investment art. <laughs> yeah it's a good investment yeah. in their mind yeah. so i don't know it's, i cannot generalize but let's say somebody who is really not into arts how to kind of develop this new audience and you know you start mm. with the i guess when they're really small children and then you kind of organize i mean now this is all much more developed and present but when we were kids it wasn't really like that it's like the, well institutions at least have these departments and the people who are working there are uh, making some effort to kind the of institutions are taking more effort to try and attract younger people into their institutions because their older patrons are all dying off and they don't have as much income as they That's used to. That's also true. And yeah. so they need to but foster a new generation of people. It's necessary, you know, it's like, and art has really like become a commodity and uh, it's a part of the elite. And especially for conceptual art, this is something that applies on. And uh, sometimes it can be really annoying to people who are not part of it. And uh, Sometimes it can be really annoying to people that are part of it. That's also true. <laughs> Yes. So uh, how to make this kind of story accessible, how to, you know, I can really admire somebody's work, but if you don't understand it at all, it's just a bunch of, um, I don't know, stuff put on, you know, like sure. on the, like, yeah. uh, display I, I, and you huge, don't get it. You know? I'm a huge fan of like utilize, like there's an old saying in the US of uh, like, you catch more flies with honey. So, yeah. it's, so it's like you, if you make something beautiful or, or, or aesthetically pleasing, let's say, it doesn't even have to be beautiful, aesthetically pleasing, you at least, people desire to at least then go deeper with it. They want to know more about it. I think it. it also, it has uh, to do with how something is curated, how something is displayed, what kind of context is created around it. And, context uh, is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. And I guess I'm not against this, uh, something that's like aesthetically beautiful. I think that uh, in my opinion, 
it's like nice <laughs> it's really like you said appealing when it has many aspects of it within the artwork. Yeah. Oh, if it's purely just aesthetically beautiful, then that's just decorative. That's true. Yeah, of so, course. you know, beyond so, so if it has something more profound or more, you know, contemplative or more thoughtful or more provocative underneath it, that just adds to the appreciation. Yeah, and it gives like this kind of um discussion um platform you know i mean i i i know that it's we're talking about now about any sp not specific artwork but um but you have a specific artwork in your mind that you're thinking of right now <laughs> well it's not also yeah i mean it's um but never mind let's move on uh, to some other question well, let's guess. go back to the beginning so block Block fry. Is yeah, it fry? Yeah, it's okay, fry. Great. It's like French block. fries, but without S at the end. <laughs> that is so helpful to me, actually. Okay, so block fry. What exactly is block fry? So it's a it's an NGO, you yes, say? Yes. And so what's its mission? Uh, the mission was at the beginning to do this uh, kind of collaborative projects with the countries from the uh, Western Balkans uh, and to do them uh, as an exchange. Uh, with Austrian uh, significant uh, um, actors on the in the field of contemporary art. But then, you know, through time, things kind of took their own course and we became more internationalized. So um, we started, like since the beginning, we started running one residency program for international emerging uh, curators. It's like a very intensive curatorial course that lasts two months. And uh, this was also a very good pilot project for us in 2013 because I moved here uh, in 2013 and uh, established the NGO very soon with uh, one of my colleagues uh, with whom I'm cooperating still today on this particular project especially. So we kind of got to know the scene uh, much better here in Vienna through this project. <laughs> so that was good. And we didn't know anyone specifically, like uh, personally, or, you know, it was just like mapping the scene, like taking it like very objectively <laughs> and then uh, creating the program and uh, getting to know all these people. And every year we would uh, do it again and again and bring the curators from abroad here. And uh, they would be very surprised how the contemporary art he here is very vibrant. And they did not expect that. Because, you know, even like you said at the beginning, when you come to Vienna, you expect like, uh, you know, the this modernist. House. Yeah, it's like very kind of baroque-ish and uh, then you go to see uh, Leopold Museum and uh, Klimt and then Belvedere and it's very you know like uh, this is its uh, core character yeah. and and I guess that uh, when we have people coming from Canada uh, Australia you know it's not that they will know specific uh, contemporary art institution here or artist because it just didn't reach them yet. <laughs> it's too far, but uh, Klimt, they know about him. Yeah? So um, they are very surprised with the amount of um, content that we uh, give them. And so are we. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, because it's uh, uh, difficult to uh, sustain uh, yourself. Like, uh, so very often some organizations or galleries close and then something new appears because you need a lot of enthusiasm to maintain um, 
disposition. No, you need a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, I try Enthus- to use... Enthusiasm uh, does not uh, pay the bills. you know, but yeah, because uh, it is a precarious field for independent um, initiatives. It's very precarious. And uh, when I um, speak with the... Uh, chief curators from institutions, I see that they also have problems uh, with the lower finances uh, as the years are, you know, passing. Uh, it's lower, getting lower and lower from the state, but still, uh, when compared with other countries, with the, it's still great. It's still very much financed by the city. Not the city, but, uh, I mean, of course, the city is uh, the playing huge role but also the Ministry of Culture. Uh, so um, I think that also in uh, lately, uh, the Ministry of Culture has this cultural policy to also kind of uh, bring uh, a lot of uh, contemporary art Austria outside of the countries of Austria. So also they have many, many artists in residence uh, programs, their own houses. Uh, not I'm not speaking about Austrian cultural forums, which is also great, like every major um, capital has Austrian Cultural Forum, which uh, serves as a part of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Like the Goethe Institute for Germany. Exactly, yeah. 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 So it's um, very good. You know, it's very well equipped. You can kind of uh, do collaborative projects. Uh, mm. I mean, the, the amount of money is never too big, uh, but it can cover some, you know, like uh, essential expenses of I've bringing n- somebody. I've never heard anybody in the arts go, you know what, we have plenty <laughs> of money. Yeah. I don't need any What would more. you like to do? <laughs> no, we don't need any more. We're fine. The budget's great. Yeah, and, that, I, and this never exactly. happened. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that also big institutions are struggling, finding the ways uh, through sponsorship. But here the problem is the sponsorship. It's not like uh, in America, you know, uh, where... Um, when. Why are you comparing to America? For example, because it's uh, we discussed at the beginning when uh, you came, how it's very different... Uh, in Europe and also Austria, then where you're coming from. And probably things change there as well, but... Uh, no, I don't think things have changed in yeah. the United States. If anything, it, I mean, it, it may have changed, but if anything's changed, it's probably gotten worse. Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, you know, there is awareness of this kind of philanthropic activity of um, mm-hmm. individuals, of uh, big uh, companies, like this kind of social corporate responsibility, which really is not here so present. That's really interesting because in America, we always talk about like Deutsche Bank and a bunch of other really great corporate collectors in Europe. We look to Europe going, oh, Europe is so great with that. You know, no, 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 yeah. BP, X, I know Exxon's American. Sure, for some like huge institutions, uh, they would get from Deutsche Bank something, you know, but... uh, Oh, no, I was in Berlin. No, 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 Deutsche Bank's not buying anymore. Oh, well. I mean, Erste Stiftung here also has its own collection, Contact, which is great. Mm -hmm. And, um, but also, you know, they shrank somehow over the years. They're having less departments and they are not uh, investing in the projects uh, that they invested before, like in the... Balkan and the... I just spoke with a gentleman who used used to work for a bank running their private collection and the bank decided to get rid of their entire private collection and sold it all. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's crisis or, you know, and uh, still uh, having this kind of great excuse. But 
building up a collection it's also like uh, creating this value uh, you know to the, these artists but also like uh, like image of the company and then uh, i guess that they can sell it if they <laughs> are in a problem yeah. <laughs> which is but that means that they will not buy anymore which is also sad right okay so getting back to block fry yeah okay so thank you, you. <laughs> God, that's my job here as the host is to keep you focused so Thanks. the the so you have done residencies like what what are you what do you, uh, so you talked about your mission but like what is it you do right now you don't have a physical space no so you are running what? we collaborate with the different organizations and institutions that have this uh, for example with this curator's agenda program this is the curatorial course for uh, international emerging curators that happens every year uh, like uh, mid-September till the end of October, we cooperate with uh, the University of Applied Arts, the Angevant here in Vienna. Mm-hmm. And uh, they provide us with infrastructure, uh, like classrooms and also some partial uh, expenses for exhibition production because we include the exhibition that our curators do with the students of the applied the, the University of Applied Arts. So it's really kind of intensive and close collaboration with this institution, which is uh, very great for us, you know, <laughs> they are very open to, uh, for this. And we are happy that uh, now for five years we are collaborating. Um, so this is one of the examples. <laughs> but also when it comes to other programs that we do, uh, we have partners also in some other countries and then activities happen over there as well. We co-organize them and create the content for them as well as our partners so it's uh, it depends from project to project we have these discursive programs like on friday and saturday we'll have the conference dedicated to the contemporary Which ukrainian will be art scene. by the time this yes live, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah yeah but for example this is also interesting uh, that um i i'm doing this project uh, personally because um i kind of find it close to home <laughs> although it's ukraine you know uh, but Closer. it's kind of similar situation that was happening with serbia and uh, um i i think it's very important that now they do a lot of these exchanges and uh, visits and connections and networking and uh, this year is the year of cultural collaboration between ukraine and austria so there was a special fund where you could apply for for uh, finances, so that was also perfect. <laughs> Love that. Yes. I, I'm. I'm. You know, there's the old joke that says like you get ten bankers together, they talk about art. You get ten artists together, they talk about money. So, <laughs> exactly. so like, I'm fascinated on how funding is done here uh, for this kind of project. So, like, so did you have to write grant proposals? Yes. Did you find sponsors? What? what how does this all oh, well, g- get done? Well, uh, let's use this pro- project as a like um, case study. <laughs> Great. Case study it <laughs> yeah. is. Case okay. study number one. <laughs> yeah. This coming Thursday and Friday. <laughs> well, uh, uh, so uh, background first. I was in March invited uh, earlier this year by the festival Plan B in Kharkiv to go there and... Uh, I'm sorry, in where? Kharkiv or Kharkov. This is the, uh, the city on the border in Ukraine. Okay. Um, got it so it's ukrainian city and they invited 
a lot of international experts uh, to help the local, actually Ukrainian uh, civil society organizations and initiatives uh, to kind of build their capacities more in the field of project management. So I worked with more than 10 organizations for, throughout three intensive days of workshops that lasted many hours on some of their projects. Workshops, they're my least yes. favorite, second least favorite thing ever. But it's actually it. interesting that you get a lot of uh, feedback. You learn a lot about the scene there and the way, uh, how, how it's developed, uh, you know, where it's going to go. It is future. a fast, easy way to disperse information, though. Yes. Yeah, and it's like, uh, you know, the know-how from uh, very digested uh, know-how because you don't have that much time, then you give them something quickly and I hope I don't hurt the feelings of the people, but sometimes, you know, like not to lose too much energy. So back to your question. Um, Stay so focused. I was in Kharkiv uh, and I was really amazed. There, were, there was like more than 100 uh, organizations present, more than 25, 30 experts from all over the world, uh, like US to, I don't know, <laughs> Australia. And it was uh, financed in large scale by the um, UNDP, like this kind of United Nations Development Program, USAID and things like that. So Americans uh, kind of... Uh, gave money for, for this project. We are good at throwing money at things. Well, I think that it's like the crisis, you know, uh, Ukrainian crisis uh, that still is on. It's like uh, in the Balkans when um, in the 2000, uh, when the civil society actually started developing. <laughs> so this is when we had like funds, but it, we didn't have any knowledge how to apply for funds, how to write projects and things like that. And that's what I want to know. Yeah, so it's uh, so, so this was the similar situation uh, in my uh, experience in Kharkiv. Uh, they didn't have the capacities to like utilize these uh, opportunities that uh, are now given to them, you know. So mm. the whole boot camp where I was like uh, mentoring organizations was about that, like to kind of give as clear instructions and to work on their uh, specific projects very intensively and uh, hopefully, you know, uh, help them fundraise better and develop their projects better. And Fabulous. Give me some tips. So, so this boot camp <laughs> no on, on how to fund your project and how to get to get more things. Like, ah, this is great. Go ahead. I so want to know. You see, this was actually the background, how the uh, project started uh, with the Ukrainians. Like, so I came back... Uh, I wrote to my contact in the Ministry of Culture with whom we are cooperating in since we were uh, like established as Blockfry. Way back when, six years ago. 2013. And then I told um, this lady that I'm going to Ukraine and that if she has some tips what I should see, whom should I meet. And uh, she actually told me that it's going to be the year of cultural collaboration, the 2019, and that if I find something interesting to do with Ukrainians, I should tell her. <laughs> tell her, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, of course, immediately, <laughs> this was uh, yeah, very inspiring to me after um, visiting Kharkiv and then 
uh, I, I uh, met uh, with uh, some people there, uh, also from uh, the Biennale of Young Art uh, that uh, took place this year in Kharkiv. This was uh, very good because I started making like connections also outside of the Plan B festival program and the boot camp. And, and then this is how um, also, yeah, it's um, you, you kind of have to find partners and to see who it is. is a, that's a repeating thing that I keep hearing is basically build relationships. Exactly. And networking is really important because things cannot really only happen uh, with only your efforts. <laughs> you know, you have to kind of... It's so sad, but it's true. <laughs> like, I would love yeah. it if it could be just my efforts and there you yes. go. So we met met with the one uh, girl from uh, Kharkiv who was running educational program uh, on the second National Biennale of Young Art in Kharkiv. And then uh, I also was approached by the Ukrainian Institute uh, who started one interesting program for residencies. Um, so investing in their artists to go abroad for artists in residence programs. And as BlogFry has this curator's agenda curatorial uh, course of two months, then we started communicating about having two Ukrainian uh, emerging curators coming to Vienna for these two months. So it was already kind of started to develop a bit as a concept. So before, so in September, we already had one study visit planned for Kharkiv and Kiev for two Austrians, uh, one art critique and one uh, curator who were selected through open call. And they went there for an intensive study visit and they kind of learned more about the scene there and uh, they were present at the opening of the Biennale in Kharkiv and they got to know many people, curators, artists. Um, they also had one panel discussion, but so this was first activity. And the second activity was getting the uh, two uh, Ukrainian curators taking part in the curator's agenda. And this was covered by the Ukrainian Institute through this program. So it was like when you kind of create a budget, <laughs> you have to find the ways how to be creative and um, how to find uh, resources from different um, uh, sources. So at one side, we had Ukrainian Institute uh, covering expenses of these two Ukrainian curators. Mm -hmm. On the other side, uh, Austrian Cultural Forum that I mentioned that exists in every capital in the world, right. <laughs> exists in Kiev as well. So they also covered the expenses of two Austrian professionals, uh, Laura Mann and Katrin Heinrich, who visited uh, uh, Kharkiv and uh, Kiev for seven intensive days. So it was like, you know, <laughs> patching things through different sources uh, of financing. And the final aspect of this project is the ministry who financed the conference. And we also have two uh, sound performers coming and performers uh, that will play their music in Celeste on Friday. So. All right. But now you, you started this six years ago. The Block Friday. Block Friday. As a non NGO, yeah. I use nonprofit, not NGO. Yeah, it's like a Verein association. It's a, a what? The word Verein means association, <laughs> like in German. <laughs> okay, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm just saying that it's like a 
Well, but well, NGO to me, from my American translation, means nonprofit organization. Yeah. So, is it a nonprofit sort of? Yeah. NGO? Okay. But you have to have funds in order to make activities happen. That's right. <laughs> that, which lends to the question of like, so I'm sort of interested in how NGOs work in Europe because I don't believe they're structured the same way as nonprofits in the United States. Well, I don't really know how it's uh, so structured you, in well, United so, States. Well, the question would be then, how is the an NGO structured? Like for mm. us, a nonprofit generally has a board of directors that yeah. are financially responsible for the yeah. organization. And then they hire a person who actually is the employee who has paid a salary. And then they go out and do their thing. Yeah, but we are very small, for example. And you have like uh, smaller scale uh, organizations and larger scale organizations. Of course. We are very small, so we are all doing the work. Uh, like our committee uh, is like four people, <laughs> you know. So, um, and oh, in the United uh, States, you can have a nonprofit with three people on the board. Exactly. The so I think we can have two people on the board, and for BlockFry, it's two people because uh, it's easier that way, like bureaucratically. <laughs> but on the other and, hand, a vote would be kind of tough with two people because, like, one says yes, one says no. Yeah, yeah, but one has more functions, so, you know, it depends. Oh, one has more power than the (laughs) other. Okay, I see how that goes. I mean, it uh, really varies from uh, case to case, but, um, okay, Uh, so you don't have to be employed because in order to be employed, you have to have a minimum wage. And for Mm. BlockFry, it's really difficult to obtain this minimum wage uh, for every month, you know, like in like 12 months per year. That's impossible, basically. Not impossible. It's not impossible. Difficult. (laughs) It's very difficult. As we uh, then, you know, we are a project run association. Uh, We try to fundraise for yearly programs, but then uh, it's very difficult because we don't have the venue. We don't have the years and years of work behind us and there are many 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 organizations that are structured as ferines that are huge like uh Künstler House or Secession or uh Vuk Kunsthalle Exnergasse or maybe I'm mistaken about that but I don't think so then um, I have no idea I don't even know what you said it was so, all sounded like Austrian yeah so, there are many huge organizations oh, yeah. that receive yearly f- financing from uh, the city of Vienna and the Ministry of Culture of Austria. And then when um, when I was uh, at the meetings, like uh, discussing the possibilities of getting yearly funds because it's so stressful and it's very precarious to work just from project to project. You cannot really plan so much then uh, they told us you know like uh, in a charade with um, Audrey Hepburn when she says to Gregory Peck some when he said well we can be friends she said some of my friends must die in order that I can make room for another friend it's similar some of this NGO has to die so you can get the money that goes to this yeah it's like uh, you are not in the line like uh, you're not there yet right. let's say to get this yearly and if the city doesn't give you this, then the ministry will not give you. So this is the kind of rule, oh, okay. unwritten rule. So you have rule. to get one to get the other yes, kind of yeah. thing. And it's, it, was, it was very... But the irony of, is if you get one, then you don't necessarily need the other. Oh, you need. Oh, because you need. this is just a symbolic uh, amount of money that the city is able to give. So okay. it's not really a lot. Like for any project, 
a small scale project because for us we can never get big scale project a large scale project yet no no because we are just small you know at the moment yeah i don't really see that we will become some huge uh ferrine enterprise because <laughs> it's uh but you never know right you never know and uh, the point of your question was how are we structured right <laughs> I'm sorry for many digressions that I have. It's very entertaining. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So we are a project-run association. So for each project we fund we fundraise uh, and we fundraise where, whenever, wherever. Sorry, we can. That also means uh, international funds or stiftungs, uh, which are kind of uh, sorry. That's like um, foundations. Like here you have Erste Foundation in. Uh, in Germany, you have Allianz, Stiftung Allianz Foundation, or uh, Robert Bosch Foundation, or, you know, this, yeah. Or they're like EU funds. That I know. Yeah. And with EU funds, it's uh, not easy because no. we are also too small to be. I looked at the EU funds yeah. things to try and get some money for the podcast. And yeah. I was just like, like they or were like. media, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but they were, the, the fundings were like, oh, well, this grant is, is for between one and five million euros for people who work with like 12 different countries and 10 different. And I'm just like, it's, it's, I'm just a little uh, podcast. I just need like. It's not for us. <laughs> yeah. I just need like, I don't know, like 50 thousand euros like yeah. or less yeah. like i don't need all that like i mean the the funding is amazing I, I i'm pleasantly surprised to see that it's there and there is such a large amount of money but the sheer size and scale of their grants are really only for museums and yes. large institutions and stuff it's somebody not who for, has huge infrastructure yeah. and uh, it's like they give 60 percent or 50 percent of the whole uh, budget and it's for people who have full-time grant writers on staff to fill yes. out this like 50 page document to i mean apply. even even you know there are agencies who can do that for you but uh, even then when you get this uh, money as an institution you have to have a staff that is like particularly skilled with this bureaucratic thing because they're very demanding you know yeah, and the um, reporting and the receipts yes and the, yeah i mean like every project but this is really larger scale and i was uh, i mean i'm <laughs> well acquainted with all these applications and erasmus and all of this europe for citizens yeah europe for citizens is also european fund within the european commission but it's like a smaller scale say it again so you have like a European Commission. No, no, what's the name of the Europe for Citizens? Europe for Citizens. Europe for Citizens. It's like uh, around uh, projects can be like 30,000 euros. Big. Love that. Yeah, yeah that's but like you have to so have a lot of also partners. So it doesn't mean anything. But uh, as in, yeah. so uh, you in get thirty thousand euros, but you have to share that with five other people. Yes, at least. You know. So there are many rules that uh, needs to be kind of uh, followed. Well, mm -hmm. and this is one of my sort of uh, you know, my pet peeves. Sort of one of the things that's aggravating me is like there are amazing funds for the arts throughout Europe. I mean, I've been looking at like Finland, Sweden, and and and, uh, and Iceland and all these. There's massive funds up there. Germany, super well-funded. All these kinds of places are super well-funded, but there are so many strings attached. So course, many like yeah. obligations. Like, you, you, yes, we will be happy to give you this money, but you have to work, do this XYZ thing. That's that, true. Or work with 
10 other partners. So whatever yeah. amount of money that you could get from them, you have to divide it by 10 for to share yes. with everybody else. And it's not enough. At the end, it's like uh, you also have to find fundraise locally, you know. Uh, and yeah, matching grants. It's, yeah, matching grants. It's not enough. It's just uh, everything is structured like that, you know. And... Yeah, it's so not easy. <laughs> this line well, of work. But, well, but, but my thing is, is like I would, I love the theory of like, why can't a, a foundation, an organization, or whatever, just say, submit a request for money, and if we like what you do, we'll just give you money there, and just do there what are, we do. There are, there uh, are. Really? Yeah, Where? for example, but it's not really. Um, I don't know. For example, uh, in Austria, there is this uh, philanthropic organization which is uh, like founded maybe four or five years ago okay. called Phileas. And they are doing that, uh, but they are supporting specific things. <gasps> so, uh, yeah. It's the yeah, other no, problem. No, like, no, but it's like, good like, that it like I looked through these amazing residencies that yeah. I'm like, oh my God, this is a magnificent residence. <laughs> and then it goes... We only want people who work in ecological issues, or we only want people who work about feminist issues. Like yeah. so, like while they may, they're, they're, everybody has a string attached. Exactly. Like, like you have to kind like, of um, set your uh, project uh, accordingly, you know, but, to their but, priorities. But why should we have to do that to get their money? Why can't they just say we like a, what you part do? Part of their mission to do something you know and then if you are fitting into that you are then eligible to apply you know i i, I also find this uh, difficult it's very difficult it's, i mean uh, because i will find something like i found one grant in um god where was it it was norway i think it mm -hmm. was where 95 percent of it, i'm like yes 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 and then there's this one thing at the end don't fit yeah, well. And I'm like, 90, I fit 95, like, they should have some very, like, you should meet 50% of this criteria <laughs> yes, in yeah. order to apply. Like, why do you have to yeah. meet 100% of some point-by-point -point criteria that is utterly ridiculous? They're filtering uh, projects like that, you know, <sighs> so, I mean, it's... Uh, it's exasperating. It's yeah, just sort of like... it's demotivating, of course. It, it yeah. really is, because, like, yeah. I fit, like, almost perfectly. I found a, a grant four podcasts there was an art sounds perfect for you <laughs> four podcasts and i'm like oh this is great <laughs> read through it like yes 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 and the last one must be a norwegian citizen you should marry <laughs> and I'm like, a norwegian i already married, woman I already married a czech woman I can't, uh, can't do that. well but but i mean too late <laughs> well, but it wouldn't make me a, it wouldn't make me a norwegian citizen so yeah that's true but the the point being is that like there's Mm -hmm. There's oh, too. I feel like there's just way too much specificity in these kinds of things, and I would really appreciate to find some organization that is just. We think you do quality work, and we would like to fund you. Period. Yeah, but um, that's something I don't know about, and uh, I guess that also when it comes to sponsoring, uh, maybe there you can find these kind of um, grants uh, without uh, need to um, they're not requiring some extra uh, uh, changes in your project or, but that's also what I noticed it's also like uh, whom you know and you know it's like personal connections oh yeah I mean you can't you cannot yeah. just like blindly submit a grant 
Yeah. Like, where they don't know who you are. They've never heard of your thing before. And somebody yeah. Grand, because yeah. you won't get it. And also, you know, it's uh, if you're too small, it's not a good uh, image for them. <laughs> they, you will not be uh, visible enough for, for uh, them to be advertised through you. You know, it's uh, sure. have to be like really in you have to face be on of brand, the people. And you have to, and you have to enhance their brand. Exactly, and or this else is it's not worth their money. How it functions? I mean, it's really difficult field. Uh, this kind of um, art contemporary art or any kind of art uh, and fundraising and it's uh, you know melting enthusiasm oh it crushes my spirit every time I go like about every two weeks or so I'll be like you know what I'm gonna write a grant and I will start going through all my bookmarks of all my grants and I'm like I missed the deadline no, wait, there's something on that criteria that I don't fit. Oh, wait, no. The, it's they, a lot of work. They I mean, miss it. I mean, the amount of sheer time, because not only that, but one thing that really sort of ups- gets my go, sort of upsets me about this whole process. I want a standardized language for grant writing. Well, Be- I think maybe there is some dictionary. No, <laughs> no, there's not because but like it changes as well. Well, it, it, that's the thing is, yeah, the, I mean, vocabulary, yeah. literally, just the vocabulary is so different because, like, I, in one place, I looked at a mobility grant. Mm-hmm. Now, I in my my definition of importunus, mo- look it up. <laughs> yes, I've seen it. Okay, okay. I've seen it. But the um, but mo- to me, the word mobility grant means an artist being able to go internationally. Like, so it's mobility. It's to, yeah. to go somewhere they can't go without yeah. this funds, basically. I found this one fabulous one, Grant. Mobility, mo- you know, travel, do this, do that. And ticked it off. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And then it said, but it, the funding can only be for a Norwegian citizen traveling within Norway. <laughs> yeah, now I'm like, that's... how is that mobility? Yeah, it's, That's not uh, mobility. That's immobility. <laughs> like, like, like somebody from a country... Not leaving the country is not mobility. It's really sad. (laughs) (laughs) Through what kind of difficulties a person must go through. That they can't even travel within their own country. (laughs) I mean, that's that's just bad. Like, but I mean, but like vocabulary when it comes to things like that. Like, I'm trying to think of other ones like travel grants. Like, like I the word travel grant it means to travel. Yes. Well, I I have found many travel grants and they, they say, yes, the travel grant is great if you want to come into our country. Because they are funding uh, just like one direction. I'm already in the country. So like Mm. I'm in the Czech Republic and there are these great travel grants to go to the Czech Republic. It's not for you then. You're already there. It's for foreigners. And you already became their yeah, citizen. But, you know, but, right? but the, the grant, you have to be, you have to apply in Czech. Ah, so you have to, do you speak Czech? No. Your so, wife does. My so wife you could. kind but, of. But, but my point is, is like, so, so the grant is for people to travel to the Czech Republic. But they from must, abroad. From abroad. But they must speak Czech and write Czech eloquently to apply for this money. So they must have really good uh, friends who do no, that for seriously. them. But there's, there's yeah, just but there's so many like things like this, like where there's just like a vocabulary term that I don't understand. Like even in the reporting this, process, like uh, yeah, the whole bureaucratic language of um, project uh, application for EU funds is very kind of oh, specific sure. and it's very dry. And uh, sometimes, uh, well, which is a great question actually. 
Have you written grants? I did, of course. Have you received grants? Well, actually, uh, what kind? Are, you, are we speaking about EU uh, funds or oh, any grant? Yes, <laughs> like, yes, of course. So, do you, so you write them personally? Yes. Give us some tips for for the people out there. I think like, it's very important that it's very clear, you know, that it's um, that you really w- want. Uh, to put your idea and uh, somehow uh, mold it according to their priorities. And of course, you have to kind of find the ways how to do it, like to be creative, uh, but to be very specific and clear about the results. So no flowery you... language, big adjectives. No. There are uh, adjectives. <laughs> there are keywords that, of course, need to be put there, depending right. from the Like look at grant. their, read their mission statement, exactly. use some of the same exactly. vocabulary from it. Yeah, in the, see how your idea can uh, reply to their priorities. Okay. I have a silly question. Totally, like this is just me from my own experience. Of course, I think. please. <laughs> I, I love the silly questions. You, you do know that the name of the podcast is called The Wise Fool, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so like I'm the fool sometimes, and sometimes I'm wise, but some right now I'm going to be foolish. So, Please, I can <laughs> totally connect with that. <laughs> that you know, and that's why I titled it that. When I go to write grants, they always say like, oh, you know, limit it to 500 words or 3,000 words, you know, whatever the thing is. I hate this. Well, but that's the question. Should you always max that out and use every possible character or word they allow you? Or if your thing is shorter, can it just be shorter? Yes, because actually people who are reading this, they don't like to read too much because they receive a lot of applications. So if you're writing it like uh, clearly and very like pregnantly, let's uh, how to say like... Um, pragmatically. Pragmatically, like uh, very clear and... Um, concise. Concise, then they prefer it. You don't lose their time and uh, everybody are happier like that. Okay, because but I re- it's very difficult to be like that. Well, I recently random. Oh, I mean, like I'm trying to get funding for this podcast, right? Because like right. I, I have this debate when I created the podcast. Like, should I go for advertisers or should I go for like funding? Yeah. You you should go for both. I would say. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm trying not to go for advertisers yeah. because like nobody likes advertisements in in podcasts. So like, but, but you but, also uh, can choose who could be your. You'd be amazed how much you can't choose. <laughs> yeah, I actually can't. No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much yes. whoever's willing to pay. Yes, it, that's yes. who people take. So, um, but the the thing that I ran into was is there was one that said, "Oh yeah, make this you know five thousand words or less." And like I wrote it, and it was uh, and I, I thought it was very clear and concise, and it was only like eight hundred words. Mm-hmm. And I'm like five thousand words. Oh no, it was ridiculous. Maybe it was five thousand characters. Mine mm-hmm. was like eight hundred characters. But but it the point is is like they gave me this massive capability to like write this really long and elaborate thing. And I'm like, I don't need that. I mean, it's really a simple project. It doesn't need. Can you use images? (laughs) No, not for this one. I couldn't, but so, I mean, the, the, the point being is that, Tips. Yeah, like, like you so have you experiences have, writing of course, grants. But you have like a really kind of a familiar structure to make this, um, to make any kind of project. Uh, usually they have their own uh, application forms mm-hmm. with the questions, which you need to reply in certain amount of words. 
limited, of course, with. I know. Oh, I hate the ones that are really, really short, where they're like, oh, 250 characters or yeah. less. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. how do you explain anything in 250 characters or less? But then again, you have uh, of course, I guess like that's, a free. That's, that's Twitter. Free but. way to write a project, but you have to kind of respect some. Um, essential structures that that uh, the project has to contain and this is like for example creating first a context you know where will you do this project why you know like finding the explaining the For reasons the, well, the who the, what where when why yes, and exactly. how and then when it comes to this kind of um, explanation of activities and then the mission behind the project and the expected results and the you have all of these things and many more if you want to be like very elaborative, you know, it depends. How. I can always be more elaborate. Yeah, I mean, for God's sakes, I talk on a podcast for hours <laughs> on end. Like I can be, and I'm a professor and yeah. my dad's a minister. Like I can talk You for can create days. context. Context. That's not my problem. But, Easily. Well, and that's sort of my point is like, is saying less a good thing? I think it's good. Okay. I think it's like to be uh, precise and practical, and but also uh, not stingy on the uh, valuable information. Right. So you have to like make a difference. What is um, uh, more important for the for how to like pitch your project, and give somebody to read it before submitting it, who Always. loves you very much <laughs> and is willing to do that. Oh no! On the, I say I go the other way. Somebody who doesn't love you very much, so they will be quite mean and vicious to well, it. It's hard to find people to read your projects. You know, it's like nobody has time for it, and then to kind of give remarks. This is too much. Like make it shorter. This is like you're repeating I, I have yourself. Doing this to me all the time. People come to me all. The, I actually do this for a living. I, I do. Okay, you are editor in a way. No, I I do portfolio reviews. Okay, and I have to read their okay. artist statements and give feedback on all their right. artist statements. Like I do this every day. So you have actually trained uh, eye for this. I do. But that does not make me good at doing it. <laughs> yeah, like, it's there's, good there's a big somebody, difference between you yeah. be able to critique somebody else's yes. and write your own. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I've had conversations like about this for with for years, which is basically like I could sell your artwork easily. <laughs> I cannot sell my artwork <laughs> easily. Like, yeah. Mm. It's easier to do things for other people than yeah. for yourself. Like yeah. I could write a grant for your project, but I can't write a grant for my project. Because you're kind of too, it's too close to yeah, heart. And, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really yeah. difficult. And of course, the organizations that need these grants the most can't afford to pay a grant writer to do it for them. Okay. So the people who have enough money to pay for a grant writer probably don't need one many times they because they're already the getting grants or something yeah, yeah but they're already getting grants so like they because i find that the, the whole granting system whether it's city sponsored whatever it doesn't matter mm -hmm. governmental non-governmental it's a it's a um a sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy like or a, a, a perpetuating snowball effect kind of thing like yeah. once you get one yeah. grant then that, that one that gets leveraged to another one gets leveraged to but another you know one what? so uh, our first pilot program uh, for curators that we did in 2013 it was not financed by anyone because it was like self-sustainable people uh, paid for it by themselves because it was not possible for a just a newly uh, founded organization to expect any funds for such a huge idea as a, like this will never happen so we had to we had to do it 
like this and to show some results uh, and um, to gain trust and uh, show that we're responsible to do it <laughs> and uh, to explain why we need support for it and uh, justify it um, and also the role of the city and of the republic in it uh, so that we could actually apply for grants. Nothing comes easily, <laughs> so you have to do it first and then like show the proof of uh, like being capable <laughs> and then it's easier. Like you said, snowball effect. For EU grants, we as a block fry, as a small ferrine, we can never be main applicants, although I did try <laughs> and failed because try, we're just no, too small. No, you didn't fail. You I learned something, yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's a hard way to learn because there's so many hours, days of unpaid work which we all do in this field. And, uh, you know, nobody will ever calculate this. <laughs> but that enhances to. your skills, you know. <laughs> no, it well, okay, but Okay, but this is my issue on that. Mm. that. That sounds great. Oh, it enhances your skills. No, that's um, bullshit. Ironic. <laughs> no, that's yeah. total bullshit. Because, no, no, th but this is my thing. I've been writing grants for going on 15, 20 years, and I get a few here and there. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't do it a lot. But, I mean, I have written them. My problem with the whole granting process is this. I can go through 10, 20 hours of researching and writing a beautiful grant. I submit the grant and my results are one of two things. Yes or no. <laughs> yes, that's so sad. That's it. Those are my two. There's no in between. <laughs> well, but, but, well, but the problem I that I have, no, no, no. But the problem I have with that is if, you, if, you, if they say yes, you don't know what you did right to yeah. to get the yes and if you get a no a they no. don't tell you what you did wrong and why you got a no so that you can't get better but actually some funds do like um erasmus plus uh send me why not do they really <laughs> yes they did they uh <laughs> this is what you did wrong yeah. a b c D. i mean it's um i also when i was um part of uh, as, as a partner in one project they also for europe for citizens many years ago uh, they also gave uh, feedback why the project was not uh, marked with higher marks so that's good that you can actually kind of work on it for that's very another, rare yeah but i think that eu commission does that well, like 10 years from now, I'm sure I'm going to come back and listen to some of these and I'm going to be like, oh my God, I was such an idiot. <laughs> uh, this is why the name of the podcast. Well, no, 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 but even worse, I'm really going to look back because like, like, I look back at some of the artwork I made 10 years ago and I'm like, oh my God, that was so bad. But it's part of your identity somehow, you know, it's like uh, you cannot uh, um, overthrow it somehow because it's... Uh, Oh, you Part can. Of the no, no, I can. I can. I can actively say, no, no, didn't make that work. You all never saw that work. It's, it's actually go interesting. Away. The collectors are going through the same, uh, like, um, embarrassing moments. You know, when they start collecting what they bought, and then they come to realize, oh, this, this was a mistake. Well, you know, I will keep it in the basement. <laughs> yeah, this is my storage unit of bad collections. <laughs> yes. But it's a part of the process, you know, it's a, somebody who you are, you know, today.
Oh, I'm a lot of things and a lot of failures and a lot of learning. I mean, it's, it's like I am. It's, it's natural. I well, like you have a, a similar issue with me. Like, so you moved sort of at a, you were already reasonably mature and reasonably well connected. Like in, 30 years old. Well, but you were already reasonably well connected in Serbia. Yeah. And then you moved to a completely different country where you had no connections and no, and you literally had to start again from scratch. Yeah, that's uh, like I would, I'm wondering now, would I ever do it again? Well, and that's part of my thing is like I moved from, the, in the United States, I moved 17 different times in the United States. Then I moved to the Middle East. Then I moved to Europe. And now I came to Europe. I know, I knew nobody when I got here and... I suddenly realized like that what I've learned from the podcast is that connections and people and relationships that people build over their lives are the thing that drives the art markets and the art industry and all this. And well, at some points in my life, I've been quite arrogant and not very nice probably. And I have not kept up with a lot of people. And like, I'm really bad with keeping up with people. That's why they make Facebook. Well, it's great now, but like, we're, we're, I'm too old for that shit. I'm 46 years old. Like, I'm too old for that at this point. Like, it doesn't work that well anymore. I mean, sure, I can see what my friends from high school were doing, but they're not going to help my art career. Yeah, of course. No, I understand. Uh, And especially, you know, not every artist is uh, so equipped with. uh, social skills so that's also something that uh, then how do they get into the you know the scene market uh, how do they get the gallerists uh, intrigued find, for their work i and... find it oftentimes this artists who have great social skills often don't have very good art <laughs> yeah. and artists who are really really amazing artists often don't have very good social skills I don't know uh, if you say so. I mean, That's I just from my don't experiences. have this statistic in my head. But, I'm sure uh, there's no statistic on that yeah. anywhere. <laughs> but it's interesting. Yeah. I will pay attention more to it just to see how well, it well, Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about like the extreme. So like, I mean, I'm thinking of those people that like they go around. They're very like, pushy, oh, pushy yeah. And, yeah, very yeah. pushy, yeah. arrogant artists. Like, they often don't make very good artwork. And then some of the, the really quiet, humble people that you see at openings and the that don't talk to a lot of people oftentimes make the most amazing artworks. But who is more successful of those two? <laughs> Depends on your definition of success. Like who uh, earns from uh, their artistic practice? Again, to find the definition <laughs> of like earning. Earn. Who can live from uh, their art? Well, that, I mean, and that's the sort of goal of this podcast, actually, yeah. as a grand scheme thing, is to learn how the industry works on a long-term scale in a manner that all of us, both myself and everybody involved in it and everybody listening to it, will be able to sustain themselves. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, it's uh, like, uh, shouldn't be a mystery, right? But it but is. somehow uh, every situation is unique. Like we mentioned before, uh, I don't know if it was recorded or not, uh, about the huge... Um, auction houses and how they earn money from these uh, celebrity names. Yeah, your, your big Banksy's yeah, and your yeah. Salvador Mundi's and all these kinds of things. And what's like, happening with the smaller galleries who discovered some of them? You know, nothing, so they like, get nothing. Uh, so this is something, um, how can smaller galleries who are like uh, investing time and energy into emerging artists and then promoting them, and then what happens when somebody 
bigger comes along, takes them away, and uh, what's the smaller gallery then left with? There must be some kind of agreement that can be established between the two, you know, um, because it's um, important uh, that the small gallery can, st can still work and have benefits from its previous uh, engagement with this artist, who is now a big name. Well, the conversations I've had with other people came up with the idea that basically like if a younger artist were with, or a small artist, let's say, was with a small gallery, just to use the same word, small, small, mm -hmm. small artist with a small gallery, if the small artist gets better, that theoretically they should work in partnership with, with that gallery, gallery and yeah. therefore the gallery should get better. So, the, I mean, if the relationship is strong between the artist and the gallery, they should grow together. Together. So you think, and this is the decision of both, like the gallery it's a partnership, and just the, like any partnership. Yeah. But but that's but it, the problem is it doesn't always happen that way. A lot of times, when an artist gets to a certain point, they they think they egotistically leave. go like, "Oh, I'm too good for you. I'm going to go to this more prestigious gallery," and they yeah. leave these smaller galleries in the dust. Yeah, that's also like I guess moral issue of um, each individual. <laughs> Indeed. In this uh, relationship, yeah. I don't know how the how to maintain the sustainability. Uh, of course, it's different. We're talking about independent uh, initiatives now, artists uh, also as individuals, uh, curators who are like there are so many freelance curators who are struggling and which is a huge thing that like when I was young way back when you know 30 years ago like I don't remember ever hearing about independent curators like it seems like that industry of independent curators is something that's really sort of coming into own in like the past 10-15 years I think that uh, it's also uh, the occupation that became more like um, not trendy but uh interesting intriguing for for people oh yeah well i mean instagram <laughs> they they actually use the word like your curated life like the word curator and to to curate things it's like a, is, everywhere now in it is. a lot of spheres not only in the arts yeah i yeah. noticed that it's uh and also i noticed that there are many um curatorial programs nowadays and mm -hmm. when we start is also in austria when we started with ours, there were not so many. So it's like uh, the market uh, kind of had the need for it, obviously. The market, uh, I don't know, like uh, <laughs> not uh, not economical uh, labor market, or but... Um, the art market, it's a word I use. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, let's... But I'm not even sure <laughs> if it is uh, needed. It's just that... Uh, there's so many freelance curators struggling f to find work, to create their projects, to fundraise for the projects. So it's like oversaturated with uh, all of this content. And doing this curatorial program for five years in a row and it's showing us that... Uh, so, so you're actually helping to create more of this saturated market. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> no, to kind of enhance their skills uh, that they can work uh, like uh, transnationally and create personal connections, stronger personal connections, because they work here peer to peer with the students who are similar age as they are, like with 10 years plus minus differences, like we have curators that are approximately 30, 32, 3 years old. And wow, they work. that old. 
<laughs> I know. No, but it's for emerging, you know, for emerging curators. And it's like they are um, getting to know the artist <clears throat> from this scene here, uh, visiting, because we are going from studio to studio, visiting a lot of artists, but also like they have direct contact with the students of applied art, of the University of Applied Arts here. And they work together on this exhibition, you know, which is like the final task for uh, the whole group um, so um, it's also somehow uh, good for enhancing their skills in curating but creating these personal connections well see in my opinion which of course and again wise fool probably wrong on this whole opinion thing no, please is I, there's no right or wrong oh right? no there's plenty of wrong trust me <laughs> I, i'm wrong a lot the my belief is that an independent curator is simply a curator that hasn't gotten hired by an institution. That's also right. <laughs> like that, that, I agree. That's what they that's... want. They, no, not a single independent curator goes, you know what I want to do my whole career? Be independent and freelance. Well, this, is, like, this is actually you are building up your um, experience, your yeah. CV. And then, of course, you are uh, getting into certain age when you cannot... Keep do up so much. Keep yeah. up. Yeah, it's a lot. You yeah. know, it's really a lot. Uh, that, that but still, there are some amazing uh, freelance curators who are still doing it very well. But then, you know, institutions kind of start like changing uh, generations within their staff, and then they kind of make open calls. And then you want to have like some kind of sustainability and like permanent yearly uh, salary, you know, mm -hmm. that you yeah. can count on. Some comfort. Exactly, like to pay rent and not uh, be under stress every month. And so, of course, you know, I, I, and I never worked in an institution like that. So I don't know how it feels. <laughs> I was a professor. I, I would put that similar, yeah. actually, working for an institution. Well, I worked for uh, one corporation before. So that's the only, uh, like, regular salary that I could feel. But I didn't feel that that's right for me. Like, not the salary, but... <laughs> The industry. Um, so so I, I guess that you get tired, you know, and also if you want to have family at a certain point. Wait, wait. Did you just say you get tired? You get so, tired, so, yes. so an independent, so a curator at an institution is a, a tired independent <laughs> curator? <laughs> I, think, I, I think that's not what you meant. I didn't, but uh, I, it was, uh, it came out that way, obviously. Uh, but you are uh, exhausted from living this kind of precarious life. And uh, at the end, if you manage to, at the end, it's not the end, but if you <laughs> at manage end, at a certain when point. When you're almost dead and you get to an institution. <laughs> no, at a certain point, if you are employed by an uh, institution through some recommendations or open calls or, or whatever, so your um, work brought you there because of your skills that you have your portfolio, your CV, they want you there, then it's kind of a reward. Hmm. But then again, you know, um, not for everybody. I, I don't think that everybody are thinking the same because sometimes if uh, you're living and working in a country with which um, official policies you are not uh, agreeing with, uh, then you don't want to be part of the official uh, public institution. Well, but uh, you just wouldn't apply for one of those jobs. You just exactly. get a job somewhere else. Well, probably like, um, I don't know, giving lessons of English or something, you know, to the teenagers. Oh, that just... does not pay well. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> you know it, right? 
<laughs> I have many friends who do it. Yes, it does not. No, well. I mean, it's, I'm just saying that it's uh, not um, always uh, like a reward job. Hmm. Like Okay, so you seem to work a lot with curators and, and building curatorial pro- pro- programming and things like this. Yeah. One question I have is, is that I have heard stories. I have no proof of this. I've heard stories about... <laughs> curators being hired by for-profit galleries to curate exhibitions and being paid a percentage of sales. That can happen, I guess. I mean, I don't know, (laughs) but it's possible. That sounds weird to me. I guess that might apply in some countries when there is an opening, somebody comes and buys the whole display <laughs> you know i don't think that this is happening here i was gonna say i don't know many countries where that happens yeah. except maybe the middle east yeah so i i don't know nobody told me this uh, nobody um shared this experience with me but uh, i had be. somebody share this experience with me the, yeah, the, it, it does be. happen i find it that it's sort of to me the idea of a curator being involved in the sales, sales mm sort of taints the position uh, of the curator yeah or the credibility even of the curator Uh you think it's more like uh, then it will be more market oriented um, display and it will not bring the message the right message it won't necessarily be the best work by the artist but it will be the most sellable work by the artist and i personally think that that sort of again sort of uh hurts the reputation of the curator if they're able or willing to do that Hmm. Interesting. I guess it's all always like it depends. <laughs> I guess it depends from the people involved in this process. I'm just a purist. I you know, I yeah. come from a time period when curators sat in their ivory towers mm-hmm. in their institutions and, and they just made proclamations about what what is good art and what's not good art and we all just said oh yes sir yeah, yeah, yeah. yes no, ma'am times changed I guess and um, curators also need to like live uh, from something so I don't know if it's uh, necessarily bad uh, as long as there are some quality merits that they are sticking to and then that's why you are Good, good or, or worse curator, mm. or good or bad. I don't know. I'm sorry. No, you're right. That's good. You know, because it's... Um, and I guess depends from the gallery who is engaging with certain curator. You know, well, so we'll see, but the, there's a difference because like, I've heard about curators being hired to uh, curate an exhibition at a for-profit gallery and being p- paid a flat fee for their work. That I have no problem with. Yeah, That's perfectly yeah, fine yeah. because, like, you, it's you clear. Pay, yeah, yeah. you pay a fee, you do your job. It's and clean. Then <laughs> but when it's it's that percentage of sales. That's where it's sort of like, hmm, that's like seems awkward, potential. Yeah. So you haven't heard of it. It's fine. Maybe I didn't, but I'm yeah. just thinking. You know how? I don't think that um, the curators I met. Uh, through my life and work I don't think that they would because they're very passionate people I don't think that it would be so easy for them to cross over to the other side you know like uh, the dark side yes, yes <laughs> the money the side sales. yes because I think that um, your ego wouldn't allow you <laughs> somehow mm. you know because you will lose uh, your personality identity 
that you've been creating through your projects, through your work. Your reputation. Yes. Like, I mean, because like, to me, um, that would sort of tarnish the reputation of that, yeah, that curator in some way. I don't think that it's so easy, in my humble opinion, but I work with um, like younger people, mm. so they're still very... <laughs> Naive. <laughs> yeah, no, but enthusiastic and kind of passionate and uh, it's very difficult to make compromises. Life sometimes. hasn't beaten them down <laughs> yet. <laughs> So maybe this is just not uh, the right um, answer. But I still believe that curators are usually very educated and they continue with their education throughout each project because they always have to do the research. And somehow, you know, with this universal truths that they learn through this, uh, it's somehow, I think that they're aware very much of where is the limit, where is the 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 line they wouldn't ever cross or never say never <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i, I would know, like to believe this rent you know, but... is due and uh <laughs> and it's nothing is wrong with the sale let's say but uh, when money makes the world go round exactly I mean... you know and um i don't think that i don't think that we should uh, judge it in such a way as it would be huge compromise Maybe it wouldn't, you know, maybe it would be just uh, very well. Uh... Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because like if there was a curator that worked on, you know, a profit based idea and they sold out, then it's like, oh, my God, they're really good. <laughs> Yeah, but like but if they do it yeah there's curator. it's like ooh i want them to do my next exhibition <laughs> you know but but if they're if they do that and they don't make very they make no sales then it's like oh oh yeah you weren't very good <laughs> like so it's yeah. like if they do it well yeah. and it's successful it's great for them if it goes poorly it's bad for them but like you never know until you do it so it's like hmm. Yeah, now I'm lost with this. It's all right. We'll <laughs> I move still on. believe in the uh, high moral standards of curatorial profession. Lovely. I like that. <laughs> Hold on to that. It's uh, it gives hope and yeah, yeah. yeah. Keeps you keeps you going. Yeah. Last question because you've already given some interesting advice and stuff. I, often I ask for advice, but you've already very done dispersive. That. Well, little tidbits <laughs> of advice. Of course, it's okay. My big question. Okay, so we, we had talked about the the long term goal of this podcast is to try and make it so everybody can basically re live sustainable lives in the arts industry through the knowledge that they gain from all these conversations. I created a short term goal that I'm trying to achieve by all the things that I learn through all these conversations that to how to use the art market the art system the art industry effectively to find a a strategic success point so i created a arbitrary success point that i'm trying to achieve which is mm -hmm. i am a practicing artist and i would like to learn enough about the arts industry to be able to get a piece of my art on exhibition in the museum of modern art in new york city how do i do that so moma <laughs> this is your aim it could be any major institution. You could say Tate Modern. You could say any other kind yeah, of thing. So I get the picture. I took it as arbitrary as MoMA because I grew up with New York as my yes, pinnacle. Yes, no, 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 of course. Uh, you have to be discovered. But uh, now it's um, kind of difficult to 
say are you too late to be discovered or not uh, i guess it's never too late i read some article that some female artists are now being rediscovered uh, when they're 90 years old so you're the second person to say that there yeah. must be an, an article recently <laughs> yes. here in yeah, vienna i don't know where i read it <laughs> but you know uh, it's an interesting question i think that like we discussed that you have to be kind of um, well connected and if you don't have um, such a great social skills, which I see you do, <laughs> I do not. Uh, I, I think that uh, you know you should be somehow aware uh, where to kind of be present at with what kind of people to work with, like to make a clear um, agenda of your future steps. And, you know, to be at certain point of time, at a certain place, uh, to move around the biennials, uh, to go manifest a document, you know, this kind of... Is that of... important? Actually, that's an interesting question. Is it important it for is. artists to uh, attend art fairs? I think it fairs? is. I, uh, well, art fairs are also very commercial, and these kind of programs that I mentioned are less commercial. They are mm -hmm. more like a, like a curated displays on certain topics okay it's so, a good distinction yes yeah uh, so also it's good to be uh, to have a gallerist for sure and that's not easy to have i was gonna say that that sounds lovely so the next <laughs> so let's go back a step how do you get a gallerist yeah that's also uh something you either you are an institutional artist or a, like a commercial art like an artist that can be sold through a gallery this I is understand. also how they uh, the the art market can uh, distinguish uh, artists yes <laughs> so you know yeah i mean like an installation artist is not going to be represented easily by any gallery versus a but they are. photographer but they are because uh, people who are buying their art are more mostly institutions i mean there are some collectors that are buying video art mm -hmm. just a really really small percentage of collectors but it started oh yeah, <laughs> yeah oh it's so, been around I, yeah. I i know a collector in the czech republic that collects video art so i mean it yeah, does happen yeah it does happen but mostly institutions have been buying this kind of uh, medium mm -hmm. so um if you want to get to moma yeah institutional institution, artist yeah. yeah i think you should like also connect with uh, curators through different programs uh, and you know like uh, invite them to your studio to see it's your work it's very difficult to get to the curators from moma to prague yeah, I can imagine And I would be that. a little embarrassed to have them come to my little garage, two-car garage that but I work in. But that's I, I mean, you know, we can't all have Peggy Guggenheim <laughs> give us money for studios oh, the and houses. The good old days. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think that all uh, artists, I mean, majority of artists are working in this kind of precarious conditions. So it's, uh, it's like... Uh, standard <laughs> unfortunately mm, but um, also art critics to get to know them to see what they say what they think about your work to kind of discuss your work with other people from the profession and somehow to be present i would say because if you're just doing it for yourself in your garage as a studio and you're 
friends and family come and see it. Oh, it's nice. You know, that's just not going to help you so much. Unless your very good relative is a banker and he would uh, Back help to the you. bankers. Sorry, or yeah. something like that. Because it's... Um, I, I don't know. It, it, it's not easy. It's a very well, it's, it's difficult... It's that, that balancing act of like you, you have to devote time and energy and resources to producing beautiful works. But you also have to balance that with a certain amount of public relations and schmoozing and networking. Yes. The, the, you and it's like you have, this is uh, professionalizing yourself as an artist, you know, and uh, not all the people who graduate uh, art schools are that or are so motivated to be that, you know, they end up doing something else or... Um, There's a statistic that says something like 95% of people who go graduate from art school stop making art within five years of graduation. I mean, you know, because maybe they were not really born to be artists, <laughs> as Marina Abramovich would say, to <laughs> quote her, uh, you cannot become an artist, you are an artist uh, when you are, like, when you come to this world. <laughs> it's like... It's really individual and very personal thing and personal choice you make. How much would you sacrifice of your life to achieve that? And uh, that might make you ruthless uh, or a very morally questionable person because, uh, you know, Sikhi Turadastra, it's very difficult to reach the stars. Um, you have to go through the hell. <laughs> and maybe, you know, this... Uh, Faust moments can happen and uh, it's not for every personality because uh, if you have like strong moral standards they can kind of keep you <laughs> I don't I'm not so, saying so, that I'm so not if saying you're, that so if you're I'm a moral saying, person no, don't go into the arts no, I'm not saying that I'm just saying that uh, you know uh, choices you make can uh, decide for you where you will end up but I'm also thinking that uh, you're going to be, if you want to reach this kind of level. Which uh, that's the idea of the podcast that I'm trying to do that. A real superstar. Uh, Don't need to be a superstar. I mean, this is the thing. Like, it's funny. I've had many of these conversations in mm -hmm. this podcast, but outside the podcast, about what is it as an artist do we want to achieve? Like, so for instance, I'll give you a, like a, if or an or kind of thing like would you choose to be famous but only for a certain amount of time or would you rather be sort of consistently making a good income but never be famous it like uh, depends what quality of life long term you want for yourself right i mean that's the thing is like every creative person has a different goal actual goal like my personal goal i just want to be able to produce consistently produce for the rest of my life like that would make me very happy if i had a good income a good stable income like i would love to find a gallery that would say okay you know what we'll pay you a salary you give us everything that you make and we'll sell it and if we make more than your salary we'll give you the extra if we don't you still get the salary but that's like uh, paradise lost yes i know no <laughs> yeah, but the, I, I i said it was my dream yeah no it's yeah. it's my dream yeah, it's it can nice. be my dream yeah, don't totally. don't yuck my yum like that's my dream <laughs> 
doesn't make it wrong no no it's uh, we are allowed to dream at least <laughs> thank you all right so there is no right answer to this question from my side so but i still think that um it's very individual and uh, luck also plays a big role in this for sure i was thinking you know uh, because now i was in belgrade uh, with uh, around eight curators uh, from Austria because I was uh, Blockfry was part of the um, Art Week in Belgrade we were partners and we brought like for a four-day visit uh, eight curators from here from Vienna and um, I was very happy to do it you know because uh, I think it's very important for this kind of art market to there's no really art market in Serbia. It's so funny. People, people are very particular here in Europe about yeah. the words art market versus art industry versus art scene. Like these are very different things. Let's say things. art scene. Yeah, these yeah. Are, but these are very different things to you all. Yeah, because... Whereas in the United States, I just say art market and everybody knows it's, it's, it's the market and the industry and the scene. It's like all incorporated in the yeah, art market. But, yeah, but here people get very upset when I say art market. They're like, oh, no, no, it's not about the market. It's the scene. Yeah, well, like, you know, you're not maybe part of the market, uh, but you're part of the scene because you're not... Um, a commercial gallery but you're off space and you're just showing for the sh like um, promotion like the whatever but no, you know I what i mean, no, I mean yeah. the, the the art market in many people's eyes here is about selling yeah. about making money, money from, from your art profiting art, from it yeah, yeah but an art scene or the arts industry that's receiving grants doing residencies and or just being like a coordinator of a, a an art space kind yeah, of like thing. Yeah, you're like, part of this yeah. scene. <laughs> it's very interesting how the, those little words make a, a, people react very strongly to them yeah. here in Europe. Um, I just forgot what I was saying. Something about Belgrade. and was Yeah, Belgrade, and then four uh, people, we... Four we, intense days. Yeah, and then one of the... Uh, so we were visiting galleries and uh, there was a discursive program and... We visited also some institutions and um, now in the renovated Museum of Contemporary Art in Belgrade, um, currently is the show uh, The Cleaner from Marina Abramovic. And this is the last stop of this show. So it traveled a few cities in Europe. And so Marina is coming back home with this exhibition, basically. So, you know, she's like a superstar for us, you know. For uh, everybody. Yeah. But also, you know, she, is, uh, she was born in Belgrade and raised there and graduated uh, Fine Art Academy there. And she became a star in the field of like performing arts, like of, the, of this very specific and very non-commercial somehow uh, medium. So it's um, very, how did she do it? <laughs> I would love to ask her that. If yeah. you know her phone number or email address, I would love that I mean, opportunity. There is a nice book, uh, nice book. It's very kind of easy to read uh, about her growing up. She wrote like autobiography and um, how she created, how she developed through years and her career and how did she ended up at MoMA at the end. So maybe you should read that. <laughs> I think it's uh, translated as... Uh, walking through walls. Okay. Uh, so maybe this would be a good way to up. start. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, lovely. And check the exhibition in Belgrade.
Fabulous. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your time uh, and energy. (laughs) 